Hello and welcome to Yappiness. I'm your host, Nicholas Mathias, and today I'm joined by Jose Gonzalez. I introduced him early in the episode, so we'll get right into it. Hello, Jose. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Thank you for coming on. And uh, I wanted to let everyone know that I met you when you were a long-term substitute for my high school Spanish class. I was about 17 or 18. And uh, I just really had a good feeling about you when you were in front of the classroom and I started to talk and you had a lot of relatability. And so uh, I'm glad that when I reached out, you were willing to be on the podcast. Yeah, of course. How did you first get into education as a profession? So funny story. Um, I always tell people this whenever they ask me this is that I actually got into education for the wrong reasons. <laughs> because in Texas, um, if you want to be a coach, you have to be a teacher as well at the same building. It's not like in Kansas where you uh, can be a Rule 10 coach. And for those of you that don't know, a Rule 10 coach is someone who doesn't necessarily work in the building or even for that matter for the district, um, but is, has enough experience to be able to coach that sport that they do. So in Texas, your, your coaches are teachers. Sometimes that's a good thing and sometimes that's a bad thing because, for example, like with me, when I was a soccer player, my soccer coach knew nothing because he was a football coach. But they were required to coach two sports. He was the only one in the building who was willing to take on that position. So that's what he did. So when I graduated, when I went to college, actually, um, at first, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I was, I was the first person in my family to actually go off to a major university. Uh, had My uncles and my aunts had gone to, I think, like JUCO or community college, but didn't actually end up finishing their, their programs or their degrees. So there was a lot of pressure for me whenever I did get into my university of making sure that I, was, I succeeded. And that was something that was always on my mind. I was like, well, what can I do? What can I do for a living? I went in initially as a computer science major and through some incidences, uh, I realized that that was not really the, the kind of career path that I wanted to go down. Um, and at the time, I was playing soccer for my university. So going to school, you know, trying to figure out what I want to do. So I switched over from computer science to Spanish uh, as a Spanish major. Walked in in my, first, my freshman year of college with a couple of uh, 15 hours worth of college credit because of the AP exam. Like, okay, this is easy, not too bad. Taking my, my Spanish classes... And then I make the soccer team, I play for them for two years, and I pick up a knee injury, which uh, basically puts me to the point where I can't play anymore. Like I can practice, I can do my rehab, but I knew that I was not going to be able to play competitively to, or the, at the level that was required for me. And my coach was nice enough that he said, you know, okay, you obviously can't play, but you're still a part of the program, so why don't you come out and help us train? You know, you can help me work with the keepers. Uh, for the home games, you can come and sit at the bench and we can talk and you can just basically be a part of the unofficial coaching staff, right? It's like, okay, I mean, it gives me a chance to still be with my friends and, um, you know, still be a part of the program. And it was fun. And that was really when I, my first time that I really got the, uh, uh, the, the, the taste of working with athletes and coaching them. Um, it was different because, you know, a couple of days before I was working with them and now I was actually telling them what to do. And they didn't, uh, they didn't actually like look at me differently for that. They respected me and my point of view and everything, and we worked together. So it was great. So I thought about it, and I said, you know, okay, what can I do for a living um, 
that I can actually enjoy and have fun with. I was like, well, I already speak Spanish. So, and I love, I'm, I'm enjoying coaching this part. So why don't I become a high school teacher and a high school coach? And I talked to my advisor and he said, well, you, you know, you've only, you would only lose about um, a semester worth of your classes switching from as many switches of my major as I did. He said, but if you're willing to do some uh, summer courses, uh, you could catch back up and be able to graduate in four and a half years instead of five years. And I said, okay. So we did that. And one thing led to another, finished off my degree plan and really surprised my parents when I told them that I was going to switch to become an edu- uh, ed major, a teacher, because growing up, I was such a hothead. And my parents were like, there's no way that you're going to be able to work with kids. They, they're going to say something to you and you're going to mouth off or you're going to, you're going to do something and you're going to get in trouble. And I said, you know, there's probably a good chance that I'll do that, but it'll give me a chance to work on myself. And uh, I surprised them. And now this will be my 10th year being a teacher and a coach. That's great. What was it like uh, deciding to uh, become an educator? Like, were there other options you explored? Was education kind of your first route? What was that transition like? So around that time that I got injured with my knee and I did my knee rehab, I was actually working as a server. And I was at a point in my life where I wasn't sure whether I wanted to continue being in school. Um, if you've ever been a server, you know the lifestyle is you make a lot of money, quick money, quick cash if you're good at your job. Um, and it's a very engaging lifestyle with your coworkers. You're out partying, you're out drinking afterwards. So as a 21, 22-year-old, that was the perfect lifestyle for me. And my, my dad had, was a manager at a restaurant as well, so I had connections. I was already pretty high at my restaurant. I was a uh, head trainer for all of the incoming servers. Um, there were some shifts where I would work as, a, uh, as an assistant manager. Basically, I had every, every uh, um, responsibility like a manager and every capability of doing any action like a manager except for firing anybody. So I could, I could train them, I could write them up, I could do all this, that, and the other. And I was really thinking about, okay, should I, should I leave school and focus on this kind of life? Or should I stay with school and, and continue this, this path? Um, and around that time, my dad also picked up a, an injury through his job. He uh, picked up a back injury that really, really sidelined him. And I, it made me think back about a lot of things growing up with him not coming to a lot of my games uh, when I was in high school because he was constantly working. You know, the life of a manager is you work whatever, whatever you have to. That is your responsibility for that, for that building. And he wasn't there for – and I, I don't blame my dad because he, he did everything that he had to to provide for us. But not being at some of my, you know, major games or events or things like that really kind of influenced me to think – okay, do I really want this to be my lifestyle? Because if I ever have kids, then this is the life that I'm going to go down and I won't be there for them. Not to mention that, you know, he worked whatever schedule was. I mean, granted, he was the general manager, so he made the schedules, but he was fair in giving every manager a weekend off. So he wasn't always there with the family. He was working sometimes more night shifts, more morning shifts. It wasn't there. And that really kind of was what influenced me to decide, okay, restaurant is great but I'm going to use this while I'm in school to get ahead or to, to get to pay for my finances and things that I need while I'm in school. But that's what really focused me into, um, into finishing out school because I, I told myself, you know, really working with 
my my teammates as a coach and then once i started getting the taste of student student observations and student uh and uh going to schools at both elementary and middle and high schools to work with students i got that feeling of like okay i think i can do this i think i can make relationships with other people and help them grow and at the time that was a big shift for me because i was very self-centered i was always just about me what can i do to better me and going out to work with other students it gave me the chance to work with some students from all walks of life and all ages and seeing them kind of improve in whatever lesson they were working on or whatever activity is really what solidified my decision to continue with education. Nice. Uh, I really liked what you said about all walks of life, right? Because uh, I was a certain kind of student and I think I was maybe peripherally aware of the kind of things that were going on in my fellow students' lives, but I was very centered on myself. And when I became an educator, uh, people are saying, hey, you know, I can't buy the textbook because of X, Y, Z. I couldn't do the homework because of this or that. And it's these life situations that are totally out of their control. And it really forces you to take this true neutral approach to every single student. And I think it's really humbling. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, very similar to what you just said. I remember one time I was teaching at uh, not this current high school that I'm working at, but the previous one where I was at for four years, my first year there, I, I had a student and I, I know I come off um, a certain way. I come off very hard uh, and very uh, aggressive to students, but I tell them like, if you put in the effort and you communicate with me, I'm willing to work with you. And I remember one student and actually um, funny enough, we're supposed to get together either later tonight or tomorrow for lunch because she's coming back into town from college. But she messaged me, she emailed me when we were, do, we were doing a project, and she told me, uh, Mr. Gonzalez, um, my father, I don't know if you're aware of this, but my father has some health issues, and I haven't been able to do my homework uh, project because of that. Um, is there any way that I could please get an extension for it? I know that this is very uh, unprofessional, something along the lines of that. But basically, she knew that I had set, set certain guidelines and certain standards about uh, deadlines. And I immediately messaged her back and I said, you know, of course, you know, take whatever time you need to. Family's the most important thing. If there's anything I can help you with, uh, please let me know. And just that conversation sparked a relationship between she and I where she got really close to me. I think she was a sophomore or junior when that happened. Um, and throughout the following years, I mean, she was my TA. She, I went to her graduation. She's got me gifts and like we were still really close and we stay in touch but really just i think a lot of students and a lot of people don't realize that as long as you are willing to talk to us and communicate with us we're as teachers we will give you exceptions and we will work with you if you're putting in the effort and when she reached out to me she told me afterwards she goes i was really scared to email you and i asked her why she goes because i just didn't know what you would respond i didn't know if you would say you know that's not my problem. You figure out when you're supposed to do it or how you're going to respond to it. And it kind of shocked me to her, for her to know that she thought that because, you know, health issues like that, that's out of our control. That's not something that, that we can really um, control how, how things happen in life. So when, when that happened, I told her, you know, my class right now is not a, a priority. Right now, your, your family is a, a priority and we will work with deadlines and we'll adjust as needed. And 
mean, she was very grateful. Like I said, uh, got a chance to meet her dad at graduation and her family. And uh, I'll never forget that uh, gave her a hug and, and her aunt and her, her dad shook my hand and gave me a hug. And they're like, you know, we're really grateful for how much you've been there for her and, and uh, helped her out with throughout all of these situations, because, you know, as a teenager going through a major life event like that can be very daunting. And so I'm glad that I was able to be there for her. And like I said, still have a relationship with her, even she's graduated now three, four years ago. Yeah, I really like being able to be there for my students. I had two students in my college course um, because of the uh, difference. They kind of didn't share with me their exact circumstances. So uh, we didn't form a kind of personal bond, but I cut them slack where I could. And I was sort of nervous because I did have to put my foot down a couple of times, even with students that I really liked. But then at the end of the course, I remember they turned in their final and they shook my hand and they were like, thanks, man. I really felt like you had my back. And having to put my foot down with them it felt like I was kind of cutting them off. It felt like I was screwing them over. Cause one thing for me is I was still really young. This is all my teaching experience is a GTA. So we're talking a max age gap of like three years and it created this really weird dynamic, but for them to acknowledge that I did everything I could really made me feel better about having to set those boundaries because I, I want to hear how do you set boundaries as a teacher? Because I kind of, I end up, um, putting myself in their shoes a little too much. And I'll be like, oh, I, I used to procrastinate to have an extension, blah, blah, blah. How do you set up those boundaries? Um, it's hard. I mean, it's, it's like you said, whenever I, whenever I worked as your long-term sub, the age gap wasn't too far. Now that I've gotten older, I think it's gotten easier. And I think it just comes with experience as well. Um, it's always easier, and I learned this from another teacher, that it's always easier to start off hard by putting hard deadlines and hard expectations and then easing up because if you start off too soft and too um, too understanding, you don't know the students. You don't know whether they're telling you the truth. You don't know if they're trying to take advantage of you. So unless there's extenuating circumstances that you know that there's been something going on, I am pretty firm on my decision-making, my deadlines, and things like that. Uh, I would say probably for like the first three or four weeks. But as I get to know my students, I start to talk to them about, hey, you know, what's going on in your daily life? Or I'll share things that happened in my life and, um, you know, what happened the day before with my dog or with the soccer game or the soccer team and things like that. And I'll ask them, hey, how was, the, how was practice or, or your, how, how many minutes did you get in the game this time? Or, you know, when, how did the, the, the band performance or the choir performance go and things like that. So getting to, getting to really know my students has really helped me out. Um, one of the things that I always tell people is I'm an open book with my students. I sometimes will overshare with them. Uh, to the point that they know a lot about my personal life. Like they, they knew before I was going to propose to my fiance that I was planning to propose to my fiance because I talked to them and they were like, you look a little nervous, what's going on? And I explained, you know, I, I'm thinking about actually proposing. And some of them gave me a hard time, like, oh, finally, you're finally going to do this or things like that. But just getting to really know the students really allows me to, and, and this is, something that, I don't know, maybe some more people do that I don't realize, but I, I set individual standards and, and uh, boundaries with some of my students because as I get to know them, some students I get to know more on a personal level and some students that just aren't open, and that's fine because everybody has that right. Um, they just want that strictly G2 
teacher-student relationship where there are students like with you and other students that I've had, you do relate to me, you do come back and talk to me, you would come into uh, after class and we'd have conversations that didn't have it to do about anything about the content itself, but you were getting to know me, the person. And I tell students that I will, I will always be there for them, um, whether they graduate, whether they move on, whether they, uh, whatever they decide to do, if you ever need anything, I'm just a phone call or a message away. Um, and I've had students that didn't really think that until they were put in a situation where they had nobody else to reach out to and they reached out to me. Um, and other people that I've helped get jobs and um, move on to, you know, different, different aspects of their life. And I'm glad that I was able to be a part of their, a small part of their journey because um, you never know what, what you can do and how you might influence them. But it all just comes down to building that relationship with them. If they trust you and if they, they know who you are as a person. I feel that students are more willing to put in an effort in your content. And there's things that they can learn that maybe not, aren't necessarily related to your content, but they can learn through, about life through your experiences. And it'll put, set them up in a, better, a much better place. I, I see that a lot with, I recently got hired as a tutor of small children at BrainSpring. And at first, I was really apprehensive about tutoring elementary students and middle school students because I, my experience was in college, and that's yeah. a big change. The first thing I noticed was that you can treat them like adults in a one-on-one -on -one scenario, and they will respond. Even an eight-year-old knows how to behave in a one-on-one -on -one scenario. And what I find really rewarding about working with people of that age is they still have that um, like naivety about them you know, someone will be making noise in the next room over and they'll make some very judgmental comment. And it provides me with an opportunity to say, hey, you don't know what that person's going through. You know, maybe they're very stressed about their, you know, it just, it gives me an opportunity to introduce them to alternate perspectives. Mm -hmm. And that's what I find really rewarding about education is that uh, I always hoped that they, liked me as a person when they went out of my classroom and they hated math a little less. Those are my yeah. two rules. Yeah. How is the class reception to your subject, Spanish? Like, cause with math, it's pretty negative. How is Spanish? <laughs> um, you know, it's different cause I've taught in Kansas and I've taught in Texas. Uh, in Texas, it's actually a requirement, just a, a basic requirement for the minimum graduation plan to take, for most people, it's two years of a consecutive foreign language. In extenuating circumstances, if they have a 504 or an IEP that, um, or special accommodations, uh, it's only required to take one year uh, just, just for the uh, graduation plan. Here in Kansas, if it's district to district, you know, if one district requires you to take one year, then it's now not, no longer an elective, it's now a core class. But most of the districts that I've worked at um, here in Kansas, or that I have friends that I've worked at, um, it's truly just an elective. So it's very hard because we'll have the few students that are interested in the language and want to learn the culture and really will throw themselves out there and you know, are willing to make mistakes. And, and you know, the, the silly activities that we do, they're, they're game for it. They want to do it because they know that there's going to be exposure. And then I have the students that want nothing to do with it because it was their fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe even eighth choice as an elective class and nothing else panned out for them. And now they're in my class. So I tell the students that 
the ones that obviously the ones that I want to learn, those are the easy ones to work with. It's how do you get the students that have no interest in your class to even put in an effort? And what I tell them is this, you don't know what your future holds. You don't know where you're going to be working at. You don't know whether you're even going to be using my content in your everyday life. But I bet you that I can show you some study skills that can transfer over to your core classes, or you're going to learn something about an abstract topic that we're going to cover that may be a fun fact that you might be able to use as an opening line to somebody someday when you're you know, out trying to date. You never know. But, and I tell them, if, if you are willing to put in the effort and you are willing to uh, work, I am willing to do whatever I can to help you succeed. Does that mean you're going to get an A in the class? No, because your success may be just a C or a D. As long as you're putting in the effort, I don't, I try, I tell my students, I don't try to focus so much on the letter grade. I try to focus on how much you've grown from August to May. Um, because I work at, at a school where I, it's like when you were in school, it was a semester class only because it was a block schedule. Here, it's, it's a full year. So I have the chance to really get to know my students over a long period of time. And I tell them, um, it's great because we'll take, a, we'll take a pretest at the very beginning of the year. It's specifically designed to be very hard. And then we'll take that same test right towards the end of the year, the school year, to show them how much they've actually grown and how much they've actually learned. And very, very few people will ever tell me, oh, I didn't, I didn't learn anything. Most of them will say, oh, wow, yeah, I didn't realize I, I knew I actually knew so, as much as I do. So just finding a way to, to get the students to buy into the, to the, uh, to the program. And you're not going to be able to do it with everybody. You're going to have some students that are going to come in, put in their be- uh, headphones in, put on a beanie, put on their hood, and try to check out. And unfortunately... You can't save everybody. You can't, you can't teach everybody. There's those students that are going to fight you to the, to the better end, and you decide whether you want to try to fight uh, a losing battle like that or work with students that are willing to, to uh, put the effort. It sounds bad, but at the end of the day, I have, I have the responsibility to making sure as many of my students that are, are, are actually engaged and working that they get their their money's worth, basically. Yeah, I I didn't have a whole lot of students that came in and put their headphones in. Uh, because it was a college course, usually the ones that did that were the ones that basically had college algebra in high school and they were just there and they could hear the lessons with their eyes closed. But when you said, um, kind of talking about students that don't want to learn or don't want to engage, uh, you said you can't teach everybody. And I wanted to share with you a really unique situation I ran into where it was a student that put in more effort than nine out of 10 students and yet could retain nothing. And the only reason this stuck with me was because this student, you know, like, okay, so you got the desk at the front of the classroom and you've got that first row that is on the other side of the desk. And he sat right across from me and every test we would review for hours and then the test would be in front of him and he would just lean back and he would just stare at me with this blank stare. And, you know, I'd walk up and I'd start walking him through as much of a problem as I felt I could morally walk him through. And it was just nothing after that. And I felt so bad 
because this guy put in so much time and so much effort. And the frustrating end of the story is that I don't know how things ended up with him. I had this policy where I never checked my students' grades. And so I don't know how, how he did in the course, but I remember meeting with him the last day. I was like, listen, I want you to know that you put your best foot forward. You had, he had all kinds of life circumstances that were operating totally outside of his control. And I was like, listen, man, you had a huge impact on me. I really want you to know that I wish you the best going forward. Have you ever had impactful students like that? I mean, you kind of talked about one before. But. Yeah, I mean, honestly, um, I've, there's a student that comes to mind that she was in my class for two years. And she wasn't a bad student per se. She just had a lot of challenging situations going on in life. But she did put in, like you said, she put in the effort. She worked. She would come to tutorials. She would do everything in class. Just didn't score the best grades. And that's one of the reasons why I tell the students, I don't really focus on that. I look to see how much you've grown and how much you actually put in an effort you put in. Because um, there's all kinds of situations where people may have test anxiety or just, you know, maybe not have access to the Internet to be able to do work like other students would. So you got to take all of those things into consideration. But she was one of those students that always kind of mentioned that she was going to drop out of school, that she was not going to do much of anything uh, after school because nobody else in her family had. So I, again, I, I talked to her and I, I kind of related to her about my family, my situation. And I had a chance to actually talk to her since she's graduated. And she told me, she reached out back to me and she said, one of the reasons that I stayed in school and that I actually uh, worked so hard was because of how much love you showed towards me. Because you were one of the few teachers, you and another teacher, another Spanish teacher, as a matter of fact, um, you and, and that other Spanish teacher were really like my parents that I, I knew that I could go to for any kind of situation at school, um, whether it was boy problems, whether it was life problems, school problems, whatever it may be, she knew that she could come to us and we wouldn't judge her for anything that she was going through. We would just be there to listen to her and, and give her advice or guide her in whatever way we could. And I, it's one of those things, and you probably experienced this as well. You, you work with students, and you don't know whether what you're doing is actually making a difference or not. For our profession, we don't reap the rewards of our effort until many, many years down the road. So when she graduated and she's now in college at WSU and, she, and she's thriving and she's coming out of her shell, she used to be such a little uh, introvert and now she's more confident and, and more outgoing and everything like that. And she tells me, she's, she's told me quite a few times that, you know, um, the, the effort that I put in to, to show that I cared about her, not just as a student, but that I cared about her as a person really is what kept her going there were times where she felt like she literally wanted to give up not just in school but in life and she knew that it would really hurt us and disappoint us and that that was why she kept on doing what she was doing and it's i mean there's i have stories with other students like that as well but she's one that comes to mind um funny enough and i don't know if you remember this there was one assignment that you did for me, uh, what your class did for me, where I had you guys do kind of like a self-reflection and 
you asked me something along the lines about like how do you spell your name or something like that because you were asking me about it was an assignment that you were doing about your favorite teacher and i said well i'm not really your teacher i'm just your long-term sub and you and you responded no no i've learned more from you in the last couple of weeks that i've had you than i have from my other teachers in other years and i looked around i, I asked the other students i was like is this true does anybody else feel like this and i had other people just nodding and I, I can't tell you how, how much that impacted me because at that time of my life, I didn't have my Texas, or I, I had my Texas licenses, but I was having a hard time transferring my licenses to Kansas, which is why I was subbing. Um, and I was like, do I even want to try to jump through all these hoops or do I, is it worth it? And just having that, that, that experience with not just you, but the entire class telling me that what I was doing was actually worth what I, my effort. Like, okay, this is, the, this is the little push that I needed to, to continue going forward. So like I said, I mean, there's, there's many stories with other students, students, athletes, things like that, man, that it's, it's been, it's been a, such, a, such a joyful 10 years of being a teacher that um, it's, it's sometimes amazing to think of seeing how much uh, students have grown and what they're doing, whether they, and students that I have that are in the military, police, teachers, I can't, I, some, some students like you, like I said, there's many other students like yourself that are now in the education world. And it's just amazing to know that I played a little part in, in your development and in your, in your choices. And if there's anything, anything that you guys ever remember that, you know, oh, man, I remember that from Gonzo's lessons one day or whatever silly thing I said or, or just saying, you know, it, it just sticks. And you never know what's going what's gonna to stick with this person because there are experiences that I've, I remember. I don't remember exactly what I learned from some of my classes, but I remember the memories that I made with some of my teachers. And that, to me, has always been one of the driving factors of why I am the way that I am as, as a teacher. It's funny that you were drawn in by students because when I first moved to Michigan out here, I, I had delusions of it being easy to break into the industry, whatever industry would take me, which is why I thought it would be easy. But it turns out that any industry was hard. Um, and I was a bit apprehensive. You can ask my mother. She kept saying, maybe you should teach high school. Maybe you should teach high school. And I kept saying, no, 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 I, I can't do that. And then I got this job at Brainspring and I'm working with middle school and elementary school students. And at first I was like, I don't know if I'm explaining these concepts well. There are things that I never questioned. You know, when I was their age, my teacher told me how it worked. I accepted it and I never questioned it again. And now I'm having to explain it from scratch. And I was really down on myself. I didn't feel like I was a good educator. And then uh, there were a few instances of this, but this one really stuck with me. My boss walked up to me and she said, hey, do you have another slot open for this student? Uh, she wants to come another day because my, her mom called me and she said that she doesn't learn anything in class. She only learns the things that you teach her. And I was like, oh, <laughs> because when they get to middle school, they get to a little bit more reserved. The elementary school students are pretty easy to work with because they're like, oh, that makes perfect sense. Or that's dumb, I don't understand. And so you get that like, feedback immediately. 
But with middle school students, they can be kind of reserved. And so I'm like throwing information at a brick wall. And, you know, the 24 the year old in me is like, she's miserable. I'm so boring. She's walking out more confused than when she walked in. And then all of a sudden I find out that things have been going great. And that was when I'm sure my mom could sense a shift because she kept saying, well, maybe you should be a high school teacher. And I went, well, you know, I don't think I want to, but I wouldn't be against it. And suddenly it's like the more I interact with these students, the more I'm like, maybe that would be okay. Yeah, I mean, like for me, what did, when I was a student teacher, because of my certification, I had to do half of my student teaching experiences at an elementary school and half at a secondary school, so either middle or high school. I was terrified to do the elementary portion of it because that's not my forte. I knew that I want to coach. I want to work with middle school teenagers because I can relate better to them. And then going into that PE class, because that's what my initial certification is in, uh, going into that elementary PE class, that was so much fun because the students, uh, you could relate to them, you could play with them, and they, they wanted to, to go out and learn anything that you did. They was like, whoa, that's amazing. And relating, I'll never forget what uh, my, my professor came out to observe my class or one, one of my lessons for my, uh, for my classes. And I had the students playing Red Rover, right? Uh, basic game. Everybody knows how to play it. Red Rover, Red Rover, and so-and-so over, right? Well, I made a little twist to it. I decided to do a little bit of cross-curricular activities with it and rolled a die. And I told them, okay, if it's one or three, the, the line that's going to try to trap students, your guys are going to be a solid. So you guys have to be really close. If it's a two or a four, you guys are going to be a liquid. So you guys get to flow a little bit. You guys are extending your arms out. And if it's a th uh, three or a six, you guys are gas, so you don't have to be connected. As long as you tag somebody, you're good, you, and they're part of the group now. And they really enjoyed it. I was like, oh, it's a different way to play this game. And my professor came out, and he was like, and how did you think of this? You know, you're using science in a PE class, and kids are thinking, oh, yeah, it's a solid, so we have to be really close together, compact like a solid is. Or if it's a liquid, oh, it's loose, so we can, we can break apart into different chains because we're one puddle here, one puddle there. So working with those kids was really fun. And then I had a couple of years of experiences working with uh, high school kids coming into Kansas. I, I had, a, like I said earlier, I had a hard time transferring my licenses. So I worked as a para for one year uh, at an elementary school for with visually impaired students. So one, I had no idea how to work with students who were visually impaired. I, for me, going in, I was, I was very naive and thought all of my students are going to be blind. They're, they're going to be on Braille. I don't know how to communicate with them. And I learned that, no, it was just various degrees of visual impairment. Some students had to have just large font. We did have a couple of students that were Braille specific, but for the most part, it was just a different severity of, of visual impairment. So I'm working with one student in particular, and he's having a hard time with his reading logs. Uh, and there's this one word, I, I can't remember what specific word it was, but it was a multi-syllable word that had like multiple of the same sounds back to back. So he was having a really hard time saying this word. And I told him, all right, all right, uh, I'll, call him, I'll call him Mark for, for, for the purpose of privacy. Uh, I said, all right, Mark, you're, you're going to have to read the story to me right now. Um, throughout the day when we're working on math or we're on, working on science or things like that, I'm going to ask you about this, this word, and you're going to tell it to me. 
And we're going to work towards saying that word correctly two times in one day. And he really struggled with that. So we did that for like two weeks. And then I was like, okay, let's, let's up the amount of times that you're going to say. It. We're going to up it to about four times in one day. And he would falter sometimes. He'd go back and he'd get really frustrated. I was like, hey, Mark, this is not, not a big deal. You got it right, you know, X out of four times. So that's good. You're showing improvement. And then it got to the point where throughout the rest of the school year, I would ask, I would ask hey, Mark, what's this word? And I would write it out for him really big so he could see it. And he'd like, oh, I know that. And he would just say it. And I was like, okay, great. And we'd have a conversation, whatever different topic. And I'm like, hey, Mark, what's this word again? And he'd say it. He's like, hey, Mr. Gonzalez, I, I can say it. I can say it. And he was just super excited about being able to say that. And that was just the one thing that we were focusing on. And for me, like I had the, the at the time, I didn't have my, my niece yet. So I had no idea how to work with kids of that age group. It was more of how can I get him excited about reaching this goal? We, we, we made a goal that was sh short and attainable for him. And once he reached that, we made it a little bit bigger and we expanded on it so he could challenge himself a little bit more. And every time that he did, we would, I would reward him with either you know, time uh, that we would do for recess together, that I would go out with him because sometimes I wouldn't go out to recess, or he was really big into hugs. And I am not a big hugger. <laughs> so I would be like, all right, Mr. Mark, uh, you want a hug? You got the words correctly? I'll give you a hug. And he's like, oh, just super big, wide-eyed. You don't ever let anybody hug you. I was like, I know, but this is, this is different. This is special. You, you reached your goal. Like, okay, okay. And so it was such a big deal for him to be able to get a hug from me. And I was like, okay, that, that, if that's what's going to motivate you, we'll go that route. It was just different ways. Like I said, just it, it, it surprised me how much I enjoyed working with those students from that age group. Um, that once I went back to the high school, man, I, I kept thinking back to myself, I was like, man, I miss those little guys. I miss those little students. And I would go back and visit them and surprise them. And they were super thrilled to see me. Uh, it, it, it was a great time. Okay, I think I want to take this time to switch gears a little bit. And so this is a question that I've been asking all my guests. It is purposefully open-ended. You can answer it to whatever extent you feel necessary. What is happiness to you? Hmm. You know, for the longest time, um, I think this is something that probably a lot of teachers struggle with. We, we identify so much with what our job is that we don't allow ourselves to be anything else but teachers. We take on the responsibilities of about 100 plus students a year and we form those relationships with them and we get really close to them, sometimes even closer than our own family members. And for the longest time, my happiness was solely tied to my job, whether it was teaching or whether it was coaching. Did we have a successful season? How many students am I retaining or how many players am I retaining for the next year that are not quitting the program? Um, how many of my students passed? Did my failure rate go down? Or did, I, did I improve on that aspect of it? And I would, I would say that I actually would borderline neglect my own family, my own health, and my own uh, mental well-being. The pandemic has actually helped me out to realize what is important and what isn't. 
don't get me wrong. I love my job and I love what I do. I love working with students. and I love the, the aspect of, of seeing students develop and, and, and get better. So same thing with my players. But I've learned that I need to set boundaries for myself for work, that I need to take care of myself as well. There are days that there were times when I would go to work, school to teach when I shouldn't have because I was sick. I, I have bad migraines from time to time. And I'm more lenient on myself than when I start to feel sick or I don't feel well, that I use my, my, my time off to get a sub and, and actually take care of myself first. Um, now that I'm in, in this relationship that I'm in, like I said, with my fiance, I've learned that there are days that I need to be there for her and not there for my students. I, I'm pretty open and willing to respond to most of my students' uh, messages through, through our communications, through our um, communication portals and things like that, through emails. And I, I will do what I can, but I tell them, after 7 o'clock, guys, unless it's a dire emergency, I'm not going to respond until the next day because I have to take care of my family. I have to take care of my dog. He's like our, our child, um, my fiance. And now even now that my, my niece is um, in pre-K or in kindergarten, it's nice that whenever I, I can take care of her and like I can pick her up, they're um, just making sure that I'm there for her. So for me, happiness now is being in the moment being happy and content in the moment and understanding that there are going to be things that are out of my control that I'm not going to be able to accomplish that day. But there's always tomorrow that I can work on those things. Um, and I, I tell my students, you know, things are going to happen in life. And I'm honest with them. If a, Whenever I, I get behind on, on grading assignments, I, I'll tell them, guys, I'm sorry, this is X. X is going on in my life right now, and this is why I wasn't able to do it, but I'm going to work extra hard now to catch up. Um, and I, I do that now. Like, it wasn't fair for my students during my soccer season that I, I couldn't be there for them for tutorial sessions. So after my practices were over, I would tell them, if anybody needs me to Zoom, I would Zoom for tutorial sessions. I would grade homework. I would do things like that. But now that my season's over, I'm very lucky that I have my seventh hour as my planning period. I work for my planning period. I plan things out. I get things accomplished that I need to so that at most I will usually stay maybe about an hour. We get, we get done at about 2.50 or school day ends. And I'll stay till about maybe 3.50 in case a student needs any assistance or things like that, do a retest. But after that, I tell them, you know, that's my time. I go home. I have dinner. I de-stress whether I'm watching the Big Bang Theory some kind of show, come downstairs to play video games, and then if I need to do any kind of planning for the next day, I do that, but I try to knock it out as quickly as possible because um, luckily right now my fiance has a, a work schedule that, that's very in line with mine, so we'll we'll spend time together. Um, and planning a wedding is not that easy, so I'm glad we can, we can do that together uh, if we need to. So how does this view of happiness help you when times are tough? So say something's just happened and it's just one of those days where you can peel, barely peel yourself out of bed. How does your viewpoint help you get yourself motivated back on your feet? You know, it's one thing that I tell some of my students that I, I am pretty open about this. I had a, a, a bad period in my life where I suffered through a lot of depression. 
um, to the point where I actually had to go to a, uh, a mental hospital for, for, for help. And there are days that I'll tell students, you know, I'm having a hard time. I had a hard time just getting out of bed because my depression has hit me really quick, really bad. I'm going to do what I need to do um, to get through work. And then I have to take care of myself. And so for me, that is maybe going for a walk or taking the dog out to the park or just listening to music and getting active again. Um, whenever it's some of those difficult times where I've just fallen behind on my things, I grit my teeth and say, you know what, Gonzalez, things happen. Now you're in the situation. You got to dig yourself out. And it's just kind of one of those things where you grit your teeth and you push forward, you persevere um, because you know what your responsibilities are and you know that you have to get things done. So you do it. And so you try to sometimes, or like, for example, when I know that I'm going to be gone or um, conference or vacation or whatever it may be, I want to get ahead. And I, that's what motivates me. I'm like, I, I need to get ahead so that I don't fall behind. I'm going to put in a little bit extra work these couple of days. I'll stay, man, especially when it comes down to like uh, finals week. I know that I have to prepare my exams or reviews and grading. But then afterwards, as soon as the bell rings for the last day, I've submitted my grades. I can go home. I don't have to wait super long. So it, it's just one of those things that for it's different for everybody. Some people get motivated by um, external factors. For some people, it's internal factors. For me, I think it's a combination of both. I know that I need to. I know what my 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 work standards are. I know what is expected of me from my students and my my uh, administrators. And I try not to disappoint either of them or myself. Um, like I said, we're going to falter from time to time, but when we do, I'm honest with them. I'm honest with my administrators, I'm honest with my students, and I'm honest with myself. Uh, and I just try to get back on the horse and get back to, uh, get back to the, the routine and the, and, uh, that I've set for myself. Yeah, I think external deadlines help me uh, force my hand a little bit because it's like when, once the external deadline comes up, it's like, okay, this is no longer going to be a stressor on me. This is going to impact someone else. Yeah. If I come up late on a deadline, I really like what you said about gritting your teeth because recently I've been trying to make various improvements. I don't really have a good morning routine or nightly routine. And I'm trying to get in the habit of doing all the little like self-care things that I want to do. And one thing that's been really important for that is when I fail, I a can't let myself off easy because I don't want to get complacent with failure. But on another hand, I, you also can't beat yourself up. You can't wallow in the fact that you failed. And I think that for me is the parallel that I see when you say grit your teeth, because it's not about the fact that you failed yesterday. It's about the fact that you can succeed tomorrow. Yeah. And so yeah, back on the horse, you know, yeah, it's, it's accountability to make sure that, you know, like you said, you didn't meet your deadlines, whatever it may be, whatever you were supposed to accomplish, but you're going to do what you need to do the next day to, to get back uh, on schedule for yourself. In high school, uh, I mentioned a lot of the self-care stuff that I wanted to work on, and it's still things that I'm working on today. Uh, but I told you that I wanted to eat better, sleep better, and exercise. And you told me that I should exercise and the rest will figure itself out. I've seen that in numerous YouTube videos and I tried to find some uh, legitimate research to back up uh, what you said and I found it. Um, there's research from Johns Hopkins Medicine that backs up your claim about uh, sleep being better from exercise. And there's a study from the International Journal of Obesity that backs up your <laughs> argument that exercise helps you helps your diet. Mm -hmm. So 
how has that mentality helped you make smart decisions in your health, whether that's exercise or diet? Um, well, first of all, the, I, I remember when I said that to you, it was mostly because I, I, the reason that I, my logic behind that was purely from an athletic standpoint. The more you work, the more effort that, that you put your body through, the more exhausted it's going to be. So that's what it forced you to sleep more. And the more hungry you're, you're going to be because you're going to need those nutrients to re- help your muscles recover. So that was my reasoning behind it. Now, what do I do? I try to stay active as best as I can. Now, I'm not going to lie. Uh, as I've gotten older with injuries, things have gotten a little bit harder for me. And it's one of those things that I do, um, I do kind of beat myself up a little bit more about than I should. Um, and I think part of it has to do with just the, the vanity that all of us have. We want to look our best. And we, want, we, we see these images from Hollywood and musicians and things like that of, of the way that people should be. But I mean, my fiance is constantly telling me that she loves me the way that I am. And it, it really does mean a lot because I am hard on myself. Um, but just staying active, whether it's, for me, it, it's been playing soccer. Uh, that has been my, that has been my go-to activity uh, since I was in high school. That is how I got my exercises. And whenever I don't play soccer, I notice the changes in my body. Like I notice that I start to get a little chunkier in the middle, or I notice that my legs start to uh, pop as I walk up the stairs because I'm not using those muscles and I, I'm getting muscular atrophy in my in my hamstrings. I could realize, oh man, uh, my 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 pants are a little tighter than they should be right now. So what do I need to do? Maybe it's changing my diet. Maybe it's getting a little bit more work, take the dog out for a few more walks. Um, and there are things like like I said that uh, I I should be doing better as well. Uh, because it does go back into like what you said, the self-care. I've been at high points where I was super active, playing on multiple teams, very outgoing. And then I've been at very, on the opposite end where I was at my heaviest, drinking too much and not doing things correctly, not taking care of my body. And it's hard. Sometimes you do have to hit that rock bottom to to realize, man, you got to make a change because if not, the health implications are going to be tremendous down the line, down the road. And especially with my family, we have a lot of, we have a lot of diabetes issues. We have a lot of heart issues in my, that, that run in my family. Um, so I, I, have to be, I have to be cognizant of that because I don't want to ever go down that road where I've seen how hard my, my grandma has been affected by diabetes. I've seen how, um, how little she is able to do at certain stages of her life because of uh, things that she did. So, and luckily, I've also had I also have some very good uh, role models in my family that hey, you know, if you stay active through whatever means necessary, you can you can have a very very long and healthy life. Um, so it, it's just it's just a matter of balance. You know, you got to put things into perspective to realize that you you need to take care of yourself. You have to be able to take care of yourself first before you can help other people. And ultimately, I mean. Not, I don't know if it's just an education aspect or a teacher thing mindset, but I think that's one of the things that really motivates me is what can I do to help people be better, be better versions of themselves? Well, I got to take my own advice. And sometimes we are our own worst clients when it comes to that because we can give everybody the best advice, but we don't take our own advice when we need to. I really think that fits well with uh, something you said earlier where you said you felt like as educators, it kind of permeates our entire life. And I found that I was prioritizing taking care of my students over taking care of myself. 
And that then made me a worse educator and therefore was not actually good for students. And I think that, uh, I think it's relatable what you said about kind of not following your own advice because I see that a lot with my students as well. Um, I don't know if you've ever experienced something like this, but I used to give my students advice, uh, I would say as a teacher and as a student. So I would say as your teacher, uh, this is the deadline, you need to do this, blah, 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 here are the, here are the deadlines. And then I said, as a student, as a fellow student, here is realistically what you should focus on and how you should do it. And what my hope was that I wanted to take some of the weight off of them so that they weren't feeling the same pressure I was feeling when I was a student. And I want to make it easier for people to take care of themselves. Do you ever treat yourself like a student whenever you're working through problems? Um... I don't know. I've never thought about that. I guess. Yeah, there's there's certain things that I I look at. Um, the the problem for me is that I've been out of school for so long that I don't know what it's like to be a student anymore. Like for me, it's these new side projects that I take on for myself. That's when I start to feel like a student and, and realize, okay, I didn't have success or I didn't do this to the best of my capabilities, but for the next project that I'm working on or the next assignment that I'm going to do, I'm going to put a little bit of effort, more effort and learn from my mistakes. And, and that's what, especially this semester, I've, I've really been trying to preach to my students that it's okay to make mistakes and learn from them. So I guess in that aspect, yeah, I, I, I do sometimes treat myself as a student. It's one of the things that, <laughs> uh, going back to my video game days, uh, when we used to play World of Warcraft, one of our biggest sayings in our guild was, hey, it was a learning experience. We, we may have spent five hours doing this boss fight and didn't, didn't accomplish it, but we learned something from it. And so that's what, I, that's what I try to tell my students, you know, as long as you're learning something, it's not, not really a failure. It's just another way of learning how to be successful. Yeah, I, I, I like the... I like that World of Warcraft analogy. Um, <laughs> dates me, huh? <laughs> I well, you know. Um, so, I, th I think that's really funny because um, there is this resistance that you meet with students where they don't want to be wrong. Um, it's it's like that binary you say. If it's not right, it's totally wrong. And you see that a lot in math. People will be this close to a solution, and for the audio listeners, my fingers are very close. Um, but they'll do one thing wrong. And I'll say, okay, let's take a look. And the most on the nose thing I see them is they get the eraser and they start to go crazy. They start to erase the whole thing. And I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait. You know, your answer is totally wrong, but your process is this close to being right. And it's being able to, uh, one, one of my professors always said, looking at an incorrect solution is easier than looking at a blank slate. And that's how I try to approach my own hobbies and my own habits that I want to form. Kind of like you said, where I start to place myself as a student, I say, okay, I didn't perform the best of my abilities. How, how can I do this? Um, I like what you said earlier about how you're telling people things and not doing them because hard to follow your own breadcrumb. Yeah. 
I mean, one of the, and some of the hardest students to work with are the students that have such high expectations of themselves. Like, when, when they cannot accept anything lower than an A. And in language class, it's, it's difficult. I mean, because there are so many different ways that we can say things in Spanish that you may be just, like you said, the, the process is right, but you were just off doing just one little thing that can snowball and change things for the rest of your response. For us in, in, in language, in Spanish especially, it's um, gender association with the words because everything that's masculine, and one of the concepts, that, especially for Spanish one students, is how is it that everything has a gender assigned to it? Well, your, your, your nouns that are masculine have to have masculine adjectives. If they're plural, then it has to have a plural adjective as well as opposed to a singular. And it's just things like that where they will have 99% of the answer correct, but they're just their genders didn't match up or their numbers didn't match up for things like that. And they see the mistakes, they, they see the wrong, they see the X or they see that I've had red to correct it and they focus just on that. And I tell them, no, no, no you know, you, you did almost everything right. Let's just focus on what you did wrong and work on it because you're going to learn from your mistakes. It's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from it. If you make mistakes and you repeat them and you repeat them, then that's where you have an issue, a problem. Um, but in the students that that have those high, maybe and, and sometimes it's not even it's not fair because it's not their expectations it's the expectations that their families put on them it's tough um i had a student last year that she she scored a b on a regular test like a regular unit exam scored a high b her grade dropped from a like 96 97 to a 92 93 something like that it was still a name but she was freaking out about the beef. And it wasn't so much that she was freaking out about it, it was that her parents were going to freak out about it. And I tried to explain to her, and I, at, at the time, I, I, I didn't understand why there was such uh, there was such an outburst from her. Because even the other students, whenever they asked her, what's your grade? And she told them, they're like, man, I, I would kill for that grade compared to what I got. But those, those students, it's hard because they don't know they don't know, they don't have the opportunity to fail. And in a way, that's very disappointing. It's upsetting for me because I can tell you many more times I have failed and I've been actually been successful. There have been, there have been very, a lot more times that I've failed and learned from those failures than I have from my success. Um, I think I would consider myself right now successful. But man, there was a point in my life where I was homeless. And that was because of choices that I had made that were very poor on my end. But I learned from them. And had I not gone through those hard times, had I not failed in those ways, um, I definitely, I know I wouldn't be the person that I am today. I, I wouldn't have the empathy that I have for people. I wouldn't have the uh, patience that I have to work with people. Because that those hard times, those failures were what really taught me the, the most important lessons, not only just about education, but about life itself. You can't give up. You have to continue to, to like I said earlier, persevere. Um, if you have breath and if you are capable, there is no reason why you can't learn from any kind of mistake or error that you've made.
Yeah. Anytime I'm going through something really hard, I try to take a deep breath and be like, this is a learning experience. This is yeah. a learning experience. Well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your time today. Yeah, of course, man. It was fun. Yeah. Anytime.